Hello, everyone, and welcome to Friend Diagram. This is the podcast where two friends catch up and find common ground between their favorite media. I'm Remy. I'm Kat. And today we will be comparing notes on There Will Be Blood and District 9. Warning, spoilers ahead. Hi, Kat. Hi, Remy. How are you today? I'm doing okay. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I'm excited to chat about your film for today. It's one that's been on my list for a really long time, so. I'm a little nervous. It's like one of those pieces of media that I hold in such high regard that I feel trepidation Mm. in covering it on Mm. the pod because there's no way I can fully describe how I feel about it, but (laughs) I'm going to give it my best shot. I was telling you or I was describing to you before we started recording today how I'm in like a very a deep dark January mindset where <laughs> I'm convinced I don't like anything. <laughs> and so I had to dive deep into some of my firmly held favorites for this week's piece of media. Nice. Yeah, my one highlight of the week though was when A24 released the trailer for oh, Bo is yeah. Afraid. That was by far <laughs> the peak of my week. You sent that to me. I love that. Yes, I notified you immediately. Well, first I watched it, and then I notified you immediately. <laughs> and then I watched it, like, three more times. And I'm about 20 times more excited for that project Ooh. now that I've seen the trailer. It looks like it's going to be absolutely wild, and Mm -hmm. it looks like it's going to be completely different from Ari Aster's two previous projects, and I love it when people really mix it up between films, Mm -hmm. so uh, I'm very hopeful. It looks incredible. It had a great song in the trailer. I I know. I love that song. (laughs) Oh, very excited. Yeah. And Joaquin Phoenix is going to be perfect in that role, I think. Yeah. So I'm really excited about that. Yeah, it looks really interesting. Mm -hmm. I'm so excited. I think it said April. Yeah. In the trailer, correct? Which is pretty soon. Pretty soon. That'll be here before you know it. Mm -hmm. Oh, God, I can't wait. (laughs) Very excited. So, yeah, that was my emotional high point of the week. And then the other times I you know, felt good was just when I was watching people's acceptance speeches from the Golden Globes, essentially. (laughs) Because I never watch award shows live. I don't Mm -hmm. find them very stimulating. I usually just read a list of who won after Mm -hmm. the fact. But then there were some nice clips going around on Twitter of, like, Kihoi Kwan. His acceptance speech was my favorite. Um, Mm -hmm. For what? for um best supporting actor in everything everywhere all at once oh yes Uh, god Mm -hmm. his speech was stellar Uh, i was really happy that he won and colin farrell had a very sweet speech Mm -hmm. as well for banshees Mm -hmm. and um yeah those are always i love it when this when they have very like heartfelt speeches Mm -hmm. they're pleasing I saw that Jennifer Coolidge won an award, too, which was exciting. Yeah. Her acceptance speech was off the fucking rails. (laughs) So was Mike White's. They both won for their respective positions on White Lotus. And wow, she's (laughs) something else, man. 
I love her. She seems like she would be fun to hang out with. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Her and Mike White. You would have (laughs) what a party you'd have Mm -hmm. with those two. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I had a pretty uneventful week. I've just been doing a lot of reading since the 1st of January. I feel like every year, like Christmas break, is when I get back into reading and get out of my reading slump. Um, Mm -hmm. So... That's been going well. I finished Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow. Oh, right. Which was fantastic. I what did ended you think? I ended up really liking it. Yeah. I thought it was great. I love that the author left a lot of room for growth in the book. And I felt like the characters would, like, grow and then have, like, setbacks in a way that was, like, really realistic. And... It made me cry harder than I think I've cried at a book since I read The Time Traveler's Wife in my first Mm -hmm. year of grad school. I cried through the whole entire NPC chapter. Yeah. Like, I couldn't read it because I was crying so much. (laughs) And... Then I had to, like, put the book down and then cry for, like, another half hour. so wrecked but it was a perfect (laughs) chapter like if anything was gonna make me cry i would want it to be that chapter because i really enjoyed it what a devastatingly good chapter i that was extremely good that was one of the ones i highlighted Mm -hmm. when i covered this back in the summer Mm -hmm. of last year um yeah you texted me when you got to that part and i was like oh man npc what a what a death blow to the heart. It's so yeah. good, though. What an incredible piece of work. But yeah, I want to play all of the games. Like, mm-hmm. I really want Gabrielle Zevin to just, like, get into game design and start <laughs> start producing games. That would be really cool. I'm so glad you liked it. I loved it. A really good wreck. And I'm not even mad at how much I cried. It was very good. That's awesome. I love it when... When you like something despite the uh, the emotional content. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It usually takes me a while to like gear myself up for it. And I will say that like this book wasn't exactly what I expected. It was a lot more like sad and nuanced. But I don't know. I just was expecting a- it to be a lot lighter. Mm-hmm. Um, but it hit heavy and it hit hard and it was really, it was really good. Love that book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I want to give it to Scott to read. I'm, like, putting together a package of all of his Christmas gifts that he couldn't take and, like, things mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. I should send out his way. So I'll probably yeah. just tuck that in there and be like, you read this now. Oh, I would love to hear what he thinks about it. Um, yeah. I've been thinking of recommending it to Will because he's recently, like, kind of been deliberately trying to get more into reading because mm-hmm. he classically hasn't been much of a reader throughout his life uh but he reads on his commute on the subway now oh and naturally when i you know was asked what i would recommend he read i gave him project hail mary oh, first yeah. thing and he loved it he yeah. absolutely loved it loved rocky loved the whole thing <laughs> And so now I feel like I have, like, good credit in terms of 
handing out recs for books. So I'm, I'm gonna definitely talk up tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow to try to get him to read it. Cause, uh, I think he would like it. I don't know. I hope he would. Yeah. I mean, I really liked it. And usually like contemporary fiction's not really my jam, but mm-hmm. I thought that book was really, really good. I had a lot of feelings in that book. Yeah. <laughs> I kept flipping back and forth too on like her mentor character. Cause Dove. I was like, I fucking hate Dove. And then I was like, I love Dove. I know. I also hate Dove. So fuck that guy. <laughs> I know. I love that I both love and hate Dove. Yeah. But I also like that, like, he had a lot of room for growth throughout as well. Like, even though he was an older character, they still mm-hmm. wrote him in a way where he, like, grew and learned from his past mistakes and stuff. And mm-hmm. I thought that all of the, like supporting characters were really well flushed out and I really liked that about it. Yeah. No character was static in that. Oh book. no. Mm-hmm. So good. I love uh, they they were such a small part, but I love the um husband and wife game making duo. Like oh. I wish that they'd been in the book more. I really enjoyed mm. like the little interactions we got with them. Very cute. Yeah. A very well flushed out universe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, perfect wreck. Oh, did you ever get a tattoo this week? I did not. Oh, <laughs> uh, cat. I'm going in three weeks anyway to go get a tattoo, so. Mm-hmm. And this one is a planned yeah. design. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. I can't wait to see it. I'm so curious. I love when other people get tattoos. <laughs> I love getting tattoos. They're very fun. Um, But... Yeah, I'm really excited for my tattoo in a couple of weeks. It'll be a really quite a large piece. So, oh yeah, yeah, it'll like Where? kind of cover both of my shoulder caps and then go Ooh. extend onto my like clavicle area, which I'm very excited about. That's one of my favorite spots. I think a lot of tattoos look very cool and like deltoid clavicle area. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Nikki does a great job, so I'm really excited about that. Will you? be able to have it done in one sitting. Yeah. So she suggested um, that we could do it either in one sitting or split it into two, but I will probably just do it in one sitting. It's just a black and white tattoo. So there's Mm -hmm. not like changing ink colors and stuff. So I'll probably do it in one sitting. It'll take about four to five hours of just like straight tattooing, but I'm pretty good at handling tattoo pain, so mm-hmm. I'll be all right. I think my thigh tattoo, who the same artist did my thigh tattoo, oh, took really? like at least three, three and a half hours, so um, I'm not too concerned. Cool. And I love that she encourages people to like bring their headphones with and like, or watch Netflix or whatever while mm-hmm. they get their tattoo done because- it's not like going to the hairdresser for four hours. Like, you just don't want to sit there and have to talk to somebody <laughs> for yeah. four hours. Jesus Christ. Small uh, talk for four hours. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. So I'll probably get, like, some podcasts queued up. But, yeah. Um, Anything else? Not that I can think of. I can't think of anything else either. Um, those are all our major media updates, right? Yeah. Cool. 
So my favorite piece of media this week that I will be talking about is the 2007 film There Will Be Blood, which was, of course, written and directed by Paul Thomas Anderson. And I chose this film to talk about this week. Like I was saying earlier, Kat, uh, I feel like I don't like anything right now, but I do certainly love and think about this film a lot, especially mm. lately. I'm having a really big PTA renaissance where over holiday break, I rewatched a lot of his films mm. and it was kind of like my recharging activity that I did when I had like quiet time in my room alone. I watched like There Will Be Blood or Phantom Thread or The Master or things like that, just because I find them really <laughs> soothing. <laughs> and I don't know, I'm just really having a very big PTA phase right now. And so, yeah, I watched There Will Be Blood twice in the past month, I want to say, and I just can't stop thinking about it. It's one of those films where if it's the sort of thing that clicks with you, um, which I don't think it will click with everyone. Uh, it's probably not everyone's cup of tea, but if it is something that you connect to and that you enjoy as a piece of art, it sticks with you mm. a lot because there's just something about it that gives you a lot to think about and the feeling of watching it really sticks with me. And for more context... This film, There Will Be Blood, it follows, um, it's basically a film that's focused on one central character. Uh, his name is Daniel Plainview, and he's portrayed by Daniel Day-Lewis. And you are following him around the, the turn of the previous century. So I think it starts around, like, in the 1890s and flows into the first couple of decades of the 1900s out in the American West. And you follow Daniel Plainview as he endeavors to amass a fortune in the California hills. And like I said earlier, this film was released in 2007, and I didn't see it in the cinema. Um, I was like just a 16-year-old serve an ice cream after <laughs> high school, so I wasn't really going to the cinema very much at that time, and mm -hmm. I doubt I would have really clicked with it mm -hmm. at that time. I didn't approach watching films back then in the same way that I do now. Um, my interest in film and understanding more about film production and film analysis very much grew very slowly over mm -hmm. time, and I didn't have that type of facility with these sorts of concepts when I was in high school. Mm -hmm. So I don't think I even would have appreciated it if I had gone to see it at the cinema, but it's still one of my greatest dreams to see it screened on the big screen if, you know, someone replays it. So um, I always have an eye out for that here, especially because a lot of the cooler art house cinemas in the city, they do have like frequent screenings for older films. So there's a non-zero chance I could get to see it on the big screen someday. 
For sure. But yeah, I think that would be, oh God, that would be at the top of my list for uh, a film to go back and see on the big screen that I mm. missed. But it's a really, <laughs> it's hard to tell if this is a film that I would specifically recommend to you, Kat, mm-hmm. but I'll describe to you some of the central things that I like about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, it's a very character-focused film. You are locked in following Daniel Plainview for the entire film, and I love that that is a driving force of the film because I think Daniel Plainview is one of the best characters in cinema of all time Mm -hmm. like i this is not a short film it's like two and a half hours but i would watch daniel plainview do his thing for two and a half more hours for sure Mm -hmm. like i never get tired of watching him and i mean not only is he one of the best cinematic characters of all time he's portrayed by one of the greatest actors of all time like daniel day lewis won the Academy Award for this role, and rightly so. Like, I think it was a 0% surprising for everyone that one of his best actor Oscars is for his work in this film. He just nails it. He's Mm. electric as Daniel Plainview, and nuanced and menacing and just fantastic. He is... A pleasure to watch in this film. And that's really, um, like, I knew before I saw the film from the outset that it was, you know, centered on this character. Mm-hmm. But something that surprised me the first time I saw it was the tone of the film, in that from the opening shot, which is just like a static frame of these hills. Um, in out in the American West, and the score over top of them, you get like a creeping, unnerving sense of dread mm-hmm. and foreboding, and there's a lot of unnerving elements to the film that kind of portend what is to come in a way, but they make you more curious about watching what this character has to offer and what choices he will make as you watch him build this empire across several decades. And definitely the score of the film. The score was composed by Johnny Greenwood, and it very, very much contributes to that um, sort of that creeping sense of dread that you feel Mm -hmm. in a lot of scenes in the film. The score is great. Like, it's certainly dynamic. There's, like, a lot of different pieces in that score that um, build momentum or uh, manipulate your feelings or do whatever they need to do in a given scene. But it's all cohesive, and it's all very stirring. And I think the score is it's really excellent. But it, it definitely helps to make the viewer feel unsettled in a lot of ways. Um it's funny, some of the like string aspects of the score remind me a bit of the score from The Shining mm. and the like really unsettling string, yeah. sort of like screechy string pieces. 
I I love it. Like, I think The Shining is one of the best scores in all of cinema history. So anything that is reminiscent of that is uh, definitely a plus in my book. And yeah, I think what Johnny Greenwood did with the score in There Will Be Blood certainly served the piece as a whole. It was excellent. And in the same turn, the cinematography was out of this world as well. Mm-hmm. Um, the director of photography was Robert Ellswit, and he does a great job of incorporating the landscape of the American West into this film. It just, it looks incredible. There's so many different shots of scenery that are kind of like burned into my mind forever from this film because they're so incredible. Um, Daniel Plainview, he does a lot of like prospecting. And so he is traversing like a lot of different terrain looking Mm -hmm. for silver or oil. Um, I guess I should have said his main like career is as an oil man. So Mm -hmm. he's looking for sites to drill oil or sites to acquire for drilling oil. So he does a lot of prospecting across different parts of California and whatnot. And the photography is just incredible. Um, I'm definitely like a sucker for things shot in the American West. I think it is just absolutely beautiful. And they capture that really well in this film. But again, a lot of it is like surprisingly unnerving. Mm-hmm. And it's not just that that is a beautiful area, but within the context of the film, it's almost threatening mm-hmm. in that you know that there's oil in those hills and that gives you a sense of foreboding because mm-hmm. you know that bad things are going to happen when Daniel Plainview finds that oil, mm-hmm. essentially. And so the photography and the score, they all sort of synergize to build this incredible ambiance that carries through the film, where you're watching this character kind of follow a trajectory where he becomes more and more monstrous as his feelings of greed and competition and distrust um, kind of separate him from his humanity in a way. And I know that some people um, criticize the film because they think that Daniel Plainview is kind of a one-dimensional character because he's so, you know, obviously driven by greed and the desire to be successful and um, make money and drive out the competition and have all of the best oil wells and things of that nature. But I think he's more nuanced than some people give him credit for. I think there's definitely a tension between his his greed and his drive and mm-hmm. other aspects of his character throughout the majority of the film. Mm-hmm. So, for example, he his son H.W. is with him, his young son, and there are scenes where you can clearly see the tenderness and the affection and the love he has for H.W. And it's in like stark contrast to the way he is 
in terms of, you know, business matters. Mm -hmm. Um, So seeing him flip back and forth between being just absolutely ruthless with potential client and then be very tender with HW, I really like seeing Mm -hmm. the tension between those two versions of Daniel Plainview. And it shows you he's not just one guy who's greedy all the time like he has other aspects to his personality it's just the trajectory of the film and the trajectory of his character comes down to which of those sides he chooses to feed Mm. um, in the end and um that's also creates like a sense of tension because you want him to be able to trust, you know, the people that he loves, but you see him be betrayed by people he thought he could trust, and he moves further and further away from those moments of tenderness, and he makes choices that kind of pull him further and further away from those last vestiges of humanity inside mm-hmm. him. And watching that descent is so compelling that... That's why I say I could watch Daniel Plainview forever, just (laughs) watching how each choice compounds and drives him further toward the um, more insidious aspects of his character is extremely compelling to watch for me. And I should also mention that another way you get a sense for his character is watching his interactions with the main antagonist of the film whose name is Eli Sunday he's portrayed by Paul Dano who I mean Mm -hmm. is also just a phenomenal actor in his own right and he plays a like a local pastor at a church where Daniel Plainview is trying to buy up the land and drill a bunch of wells and he kind of like is one of the only people that has the fortitude to try to, you know, keep Daniel from just flat out bulldozing everyone, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. And Eli Sunday, like over many years, is the main antagonist in Daniel Plainview's life and it does things to undermine him and they kind of like go back and forth and there's a, a a dynamic to their like power struggle that is also very compelling to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it seems like Eli has the upper hand. Sometimes Daniel has the upper hand and you watch them mm, just do what they can. And all of their actions in the end completely lay bare the, the essence of their mm-hmm. motivation as characters. Mm. Uh, which is also really satisfying to see. I really like the final interaction between Daniel and Eli. I think it's very revealing. But aside from that, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's an incredible film. And I mean, Paul Thomas Anderson has, in my opinion, perhaps the best dialogue in any film's Um, He always writes and directs his own films, so um, he has just such a knack for writing memorable dialogue. Like, many times a day, 
I will be in a situation and I'll think of a line from one of his movies that mm-hmm. like is, you know, suits my mood about whatever's going on in my life. And I don't know. I don't know how he does it. Like he doesn't have the most naturalistic dialogue, mm-hmm. but his dialogue is so memorable and striking that like it cuts to the core of the idea of the scene. And that's why I remember these lines so frequently and I apply them to my own life. And I think that is just an excellent skill. And that's something like I aspire to in my own writing mm-hmm. to have like such a clear vision of a scene that the dialogue, like it's just, it makes it so powerful and so memorable. I, I think it's incredible. And yeah, I think he's got some of the best dialogue out there. I don't know how he does it. But yeah, there's a lot of famous lines from this movie. And I think about some of, I mean, not even, not even like the most famous lines. I think about them a lot and how they reveal different aspects of the characters. Um, one of my favorite monologues from the film is when Daniel is having a conversation fireside with his brother, Henry, and he's talking to Henry about the competitive force that he feels inside of himself and his distaste for humanity. And he like fully acknowledges all of these um, you know, essentially character flaws that he has, but how they're just completely overwhelming to him. And that's, you know, not even the end point of the movie. So like you see that he's fully aware of these features of his character. And that's one of the reasons why it's so interesting to see him make the choices that he does later on. Um, because he, he knows exactly what he's doing all the time. He's a very deliberate character mm-hmm. and there it's just mesmerizing to see. Um, so yeah, it's, it's just a really, really compelling character study on this person who I think most people agree is one of the, um, most iconic villains in cinema history, perhaps. Mm-hmm. And it's just interesting to see an entire film centered on someone who is widely regarded as a villain, and he's the main driving force of the film. Hmm. Yeah, that is very different. Mm-hmm. Um, Scott's been trying to get me to watch this film with him for a while now. Mm-hmm. It was a wreck that he got from Will a long time ago, um, and he's already seen it, but now he wants me to watch it. So he thinks I'll like it, and he's usually right about that kind of thing. So Yeah. He would know better than I would. Um, we'll have to watch it. Where's it streaming right now? Netflix? It is not streaming, oh, unfortunately. No. I own it on YouTube. Ah. Uh, because it's such a it's such a frequent rewatch mm-hmm. for me that I just had to buy it. <laughs> um it's not terribly expensive since it has been no. out for so long now. It's not like a new VOD release that's mm-hmm. like twenty dollars. So yeah, I think it has extremely high rewatchability, but yes. when I say like I don't think it's necessarily to everyone's taste, it's just that if you are the type of person who uh, likes movies that are more driven 
uh, based on in like a uh, a plot drive kind of mm-hmm. way, it might not be for you. Like it might seem terribly slow mm-hmm. because it is completely character driven. But to me, that's extremely exciting. So mm-hmm. it never feels like it drags for me, even when like the opening almost like 10, 20 minutes has essentially no dialogue. Like it's still mm-hmm. completely atmospheric and character driven and I just love it like it's the kind of thing that I was watching it before I while I was taking notes today Mm -hmm. because I wanted to be certain that my recollection of the first shot of the film was accurate and as soon as I started watching it I was like I want to watch this entire thing (laughs) right now like if we weren't potting right now I would still be watching it (laughs) it's just it sucks you in Mm -hmm. and I find it absolutely captivating. I think it's, in my opinion, Paul Thomas Anderson's best film Mm -hmm. um, up to this point. I mean, we're in early 2023 right now, and I think it is absolutely my favorite film of his. That could always change, but man, I absolutely love this film. Mm -hmm. And yeah, if that sounds like your bag, then I would totally recommend it. Yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think... Now that I've been going through this this really heavy PTA phase, he's definitely moved into my top three favorite working directors, for oh, sure. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. There's just something about his films. They're incredible. Phantom Thread is on Netflix right now. That's mm-hmm. one of the only ones that is on streaming, and I think Boogie Nights is on HBO at the moment. Mm. But, um, yeah, I I bought... There will be blood in the master because they were like taken off of streaming some time ago, and I don't I know see. when they'll return. Yeah, mm. nice. Yeah, Perfect. yeah. I think that's all I I had on it right now. It's yeah. There's a, about five billion video essays <laughs> on it. If anyone else wants to hear more analysis about mm. it, but yeah, that's my two cents. Wow. Well, my pick today is District Nine which is a film directed by Neil Blomkamp. And it came out in 2009, and I have not seen it until today. So (laughs) I have heard great things about it. Obviously, it was nominated for numerous awards when it came out, but I never got around to watching it. And finally did so today. And I really enjoyed it. The general premise of this film is that it is kind of a alien. It's hard to call it an alien invasion movie, but it's a movie focused on a group of aliens that are living in Johannesburg um, in South Africa. And all of these aliens end up like kind of forced into um, kind of work camp situations by the South African government. And it's kind of styled in a mockumentary type format, uh, especially towards the beginning, where you see your kind of like main character that you're following through the film, Vicus. And he works for this multinational united government group. So Throughout the movie, they refer to that as MNU. 
And this is the organization that's kind of in charge of relocating the aliens as well as like kind of studying their weapons, studying their tech and stuff like that. And the main character is kind of a, uh, a lower level employee that's getting moved up because his father-in-law is like kind of head of this department. And so Vickis is played by Charlotte Copley. And this is a, an actor that has worked in other Neil Blomkamp movies as well. And when the movie starts out, you're seeing all of this documentary footage of him going to these aliens and kind of telling them that they're being evicted from their current living situation and that they need to move into this kind of tented community. And right off the bat, this character is like very unlikable. He has this like sense of glee at it. It's almost like gleeful. Like he's getting his uh, 15 minutes of fame in this documentary and he's like happy about what he's doing to these aliens and he has like a childish fascination with like the diagrams that they're drawing and it just right off the bat you don't like this character based on how he's viewing this like alien culture and how they're living and in this excursion, he gets exposed to an alien substance and it starts turning him into like this human alien hybrid. And this immediately kind of paints a target on his back with his own government. And they kind of take him into custody and they want to study him because all of the alien weapons that they've acquired don't function because they're being handled by humans. But they quickly find out that Vickis is able to use his new alien DNA to operate these weapons. And so he's kind of being tortured and studied and held captive in his own, like, department of the government. And eventually he escapes captivity and he's kind of on the run. They have like kind of made him seem like a criminal in the media and have isolated him from humans that might want to help him. And so he's kind of forced to seek help from the aliens that he had interacted with prior. And he specifically enlists the help of an alien named Christopher Johnson and his son. And they like, basically say, oh, we can fix this problem. We know what caused this. And if we can just get to our big mothership, then we can fix you. And kind of from there, it becomes this kind of battle between his own desire to help the aliens versus his own desire to like be healed and get back to his family. And I really enjoyed this film. I thought it was, I thought it was really like morally interesting. I liked considering all of the decisions of the main character because, as I mentioned at at the beginning, he's very unlikable. But then um, throughout the film, he kind of shifts back and forth 
in a really interesting way because he wants to help the aliens, but then he also is kind of um, choosing the selfish path in certain instances, and he is kind of throwing um, throwing the aliens out to the wolves in certain instances. But he's definitely a character that's like not all good and not all bad. It's he's just complicated and scared and isolated. And I think that it's really interesting to kind of explore why he does the things that he does. And ultimately, he ends up making the right decision and doing the good thing. And I think that, um, that's. I like that ending and I like it for that reason. I thought the alien race was really well designed. I thought they were interesting. They're kind of uh, almost a insect type species that has kind of like an exoskeleton. And I really especially like what they did with the aspect of language in this film because you basically start with this understanding that the humans will speak English and the aliens will speak their alien language and both sides just kind of understand each other and respond in their own dialect. And I thought that was a really interesting assumption to start the audience out with. That way there's no like translation aspect like i just thought it worked really well in the film and made it flow really well and i think that christopher johnson the alien character that is helping uh vicus is a really good character i also liked that there were questions left unanswered in the film i thought that the premise wasn't fully explained, like why did the aliens even show up on Earth and why do they stay and why doesn't their ship work or why can't they get back home? I I think that it's interesting to think about like what role the aliens are serving to their own community by being there. And I like that the filmmaker kind of left room for you to explore that on your own, in your own mind, and didn't like over explain that aspect of the film. I think it makes it interesting that like the audience gets to do some of the world building Mm -hmm. in their minds. Yeah. And I think that helps make it more allegorical overall because Mm -hmm. there's like obvious parallels that I think the film wants you to draw between Mm -hmm. um, this alien race and, you know, people with refugee status Mm -hmm. that are forced to leave wherever they're from for any variety of reasons and i think by not pinning down the specific reason why the aliens have had to relocate or why they're stranded it kind of makes that more generally applicable to anyone that's been unhomed whether it's from like famine or conflict or yeah any number of human reasons for people having to flee where they're from and you know obviously i think the film wants you to reflect on how we treat people that are um fleeing and Mm -hmm. how they should be treated as refugees and Mm -hmm. (laughs) um incorporated into their new living situation yeah so yeah i like that they they keep that 
generic so that you're not trying to draw like a parallel with just one you know a subset of people that have been unhomed so it like applies to everyone yeah yeah i definitely agree with that um but yeah i just thought it was a really thought-provoking film and i am glad that i finally got around to watching it yeah it was definitely worth the watch I like the sci-fi premise. I like the government distrust. I like the, like, all of the fight scenes were really well done in a way that didn't make them, like, really boring to me because I don't <laughs> like fight scenes. And, like, the alien tech was pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Good film. I guess we can move on to our friend diagram if you're ready. Yeah. What do these two pieces of media have in common? I mean, I think that they both touch on themes of, like, greed and what greed will drive people to do and Mm -hmm. the kinds of things that the promise of power can drive people to do. Um, Like, in District 9, there's some, like, really horrendous experiments that happen to the aliens and, or, like, just needless death that happens to the alien race and it's all to like serve this desire to use this like better technology this better weapon system um that like they're willing to just have massive loss of life or torture and uh hurt anyone that they need to get the power that they crave Mm -hmm. the government so that's kind of what that makes me think of yeah and we have unlikable main characters yeah you said vicus was definitely at least unlikable at the beginning of the Mm -hmm. of the film and i would say most people would say daniel plainview is an unlikable Mm -hmm. character throughout there will be blood i would say i mean i love him as a character Mm -hmm. um even though he has egregious behavior i still like him but Mm -hmm. it's completely like contradictory that i like someone that has such has like values that run so contrary to like my personal values so Mm -hmm. i think that's just a testament to how how great daniel day lewis is to watch in this role yeah yeah but certainly unlikable main characters yeah and they're both struggling they both have internal conflict between like making selfless Mm -hmm. selfish or ruthless choices versus Mm -hmm. choices that would benefit uh, another party in some way um that there's definitely a lot of choice points i think in both of these films where the unlikable main character has to keep being unlikable in their Mm -hmm. choices or kind of move in a more generous direction yeah for sure Mm -hmm. And, like, a general theme of betrayal as well, like, Mm -hmm. in in with that, um, the main characters do have moments where they're, like, betraying another person because of their selfish behavior. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Yeah. Um, And then that leads to isolation for both of them Mm -hmm. in some ways. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's really interesting that you said you really liked the final decision that Vickis made. In mm-hmm. the end of District 9, um, even though he had, like, a track record of being pretty shitty. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I would say a parallel between that and There Will Be Blood is that as a viewer, I also liked Daniel Plainview's final decision in There Will Be Blood, even though it was objectively the wrong thing to do. (laughs) (laughs) It was very much not good, but I still liked it. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Yeah, we didn't touch on H.W. very much, but there is a character in District 9. His name's Little C.J., and <laughs> he's Christopher Johnson's son. And Little he's CJ, so fucking cute. He's like the comedic relief for the mm-hmm. film. It's so cute. Oh. And like, he's such a kid too, because like, he'll be like, oh, and we put the fuel in here and then we can take off from this like ship that we've got buried under the ground. Mm-hmm. And the dad is like, please stop talking. You're Aww. telling this guy our whole plan. Why are you still talking? I love yeah. it. I That's think it's great. like such a little kid thing to do to be like, and we've got this plan. Mm-hmm. I loved it. Yeah, H.W. totally rocks. He's like a sweet kid and he is always watching and observing mm-hmm. and absorbing the things that Daniel is doing. And yeah, he's no dummy, but I love that <laughs> there's both these like little kid characters mm-hmm. that go by two initials. <laughs> That's a great parallel. <laughs> um, how would you describe the fight scenes in District 9? Like what about them did you like over like a more traditional action-y type of fight scene? Ooh, um, I mean, I like that they're pretty one-sided <laughs> um, mm. because of the alien tech, like one side has an advantage. So the fight scenes tend to be pretty quick right? Um, and not like drawn out. So yeah. I did like that. Um, yeah, I thought that's kind of like what I assumed you were getting at mm-hmm. um, because I also know what you mean, like. I sometimes like films that have like really highly choreographed fight scenes and that's like the main draw, but that's not normally something I gravitate Mm -hmm. toward. And while I think those are like obviously very well done and very skillful, I've been thinking a lot lately about the way Paul Thomas Anderson choreographs a fight Mm -hmm. in his films. Um, I think he does it better than anyone because they are the most realistic fights I've ever seen. So there's like a fight in The Master that Joaquin Phoenix gets into in a department store. And it is completely like sloppy and uncoordinated. And people are like slipping around on the floor because they're in like men's dress shoes. And it is like very realistic in that I think if I saw a fight between two men in a department store, it would look exactly like that. (laughs) It wouldn't look like John Wick. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And the fight scenes in, I don't even know if you would call them fight scenes, but the fights in There Will Be Blood are very much in the same style in that Mm -hmm. like Daniel Plainview was just like smacking Eli Sunday in the face and like throwing mud on him and he says one of my favorite lines in the movie he says i'm going to bury you underground eli and while he like rubs dirt on his face and like beats him and it's like completely 
just sloppy and uncoordinated and it's just two dudes fighting in a field. Mm-hmm. And I love it. I love the way Paul Thomas Anderson does fights because it looks like two people that aren't really trained in fighting, but they're like pissed off at each other. And this is how it would really look in real life. Mm. Um, and I really enjoy that. I enjoy that much more than like a pristinely choreographed five minute fight scene. It's mm-hmm. very quick and it's, uh, it's just more <laughs> true to life in my experience. Yeah. Yeah. My brain just like shuts off with big fight scenes. I'm like, yeah, zero interest in paying attention. <laughs> but yeah, I that makes me wonder like what the direction looks like in in the filming of those scenes and like what he tells the actors that he wants from them. Like, what PTA tells them? Yeah. Me too. Like, can you even choreograph something that looks so organic? Or yeah. do they, does he just say like, don't learn anything about fighting and just kind of like, yeah, do what feels natural? I don't know. I wonder that as well. I wonder if I could find any information on that. Yeah. Just like go get into a fist fight. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's mm. so good. We had a lot of overlaps in that. Yeah, I'm pleasantly surprised by how many overlaps we had. At first, I was like, "Oh, this is going to be tough to match up," mm-hmm. but in the end, these it were came together. Good. Thanks for joining us this week on Friend Diagram. Thank you to Tyler Seek for the creation of our intro and outro music. Did you take any of our recommendations? Have any thoughts on the show? Let us know at frienddiagrampod at gmail.com, and we might read your email on a future episode. If you can, please take a moment to rate and review the show on your podcast app of choice, and we'll see you back here, same place, next week. Bye for now.